Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show is sound artist Natalia Bayliss. She released a brilliant piece with Cork cellist Ema Reedy earlier this year called She Came In Through The Window To Stand By The Door and was also featured in The Wire magazine earlier this year. The stand first on that piece read, The sound artist works magical transformations from the watery sounds of rural Ireland and keyboards salvaged from a dump. Just to give you an idea of what to expect. Natalia also releases solo pieces, the latest of which up on Bandcamp is called Library of Sticks. And as you'll hear us chat about, it features the sound of washing new potatoes and creaking doors. We talked ahead of her performance at Music Town in Dublin on Thursday, July 27th. That's going to take place in the depot at the complex. She's playing alongside Ema Reedy and on a bill with Anamika, Adrian Crowley and Aoife Wolf. That show and the whole Music Town lineup is really, really good and well worth checking out if you're in Dublin from July 27th to 30th. Natalia has some other shows coming up during a very busy July, including solo shows at the NCH on July 5th and in the Dock in Leitrim on July 14th. And alongside Emer, she's playing Stendhal Festival in Limavady on July 6th to 8th. So we talked on Wednesday morning about sound recording, recording in a rural setting like Leitrim, organs, improvisation, and lots, lots more. You can get all of Natalia's output at her Bandcamp page, nataliabayliss.bandcamp.com. Let's get into it. This is Natalia Bayliss on the Point of Everything podcast. So first up, you, Annie Maridi, are going to be playing with Anamika, Adrian Crowley and Aoife Wolf for Music Town in Dublin on Thursday, July 27th. That's in the depot at the Complex. Have you and Emer played live together much? Um, we've played live together maybe about 10 times or so over the course of the last few years. We've played a lot together just at home, uh, but yeah, we haven't played live too, too, too much together. So uh, looking forward to doing it. It's such an amazing lineup. When I saw the lineup announced, I was just like, oh, wow, I can't wait to see all of those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. So like, d- do you talk about what you're going to do much or is it all improvised or how do you go about thinking about the set that you're going to put together? We play a lot. So we talk through everything beforehand and um, everything is, there's a lot of improvisational parts within the music, but the structures are set and the motifs are set beforehand. And we talk a lot about, um, we tend to have stories in our minds of what we're, where we are and where we're going and what the piece is about. So we kind of both know um, where, where our setting is, where our location is, who the characters are that are gonna make appearances throughout it. Um, but there's a lot of space then for freedom to kind of go off and try, try things out or, 
uh, bring in new elements um, within the set as well. How does that differ to your own solo sets? Because I know that, well, that's at the end of July, but you're doing a couple of shows uh, earlier in July as well. You're playing with Trickmist and Smut, possibly Smoot, uh, at the NCH in Dublin on July 5th. And you're doing The Dock in Leitrim on July 14th. Those are both solo shows. So are they different? Are they, are they kind of in the same ballpark? They are in completely different universes the set i'm doing with emer um i'll be playing electric piano so that'll be quite melody based and then the solo set is um going to be all objects non-musical objects yeah so that won't that won't have the same kind of melodies and and song structures or um things like that that'll be uh more like a sound art piece i guess kind of at the end of the day rather than a musical piece Oh, so tell me more about that. Is it kind of like, are you going to be recreating the sounds, some of the sounds anyway there on stage or are they all kind of already recorded? Uh, I'll probably mostly be recreating the sound. I have a few things recorded onto cassette tapes beforehand. Um, I th- but mostly I'll be live. Um, I don't tend to use too many pre-recorded sounds. Um, I, I enjoy the unpredictability of what's going to happen with the sounds nearly like having another improviser there so with live sounds and using live objects that kind of keeps me focused in a different way where um I'm not sure what they're going to do so I don't really know and I kind of then I'm nervous but I think that those nerves um kind of feed me to really be in the moment uh so I I like that live element of bringing things it's like having other unpredictable performers or strange pets or something with you on stage <laughs> does the unpredictability of it go both ways though it can go bad as well as good or is it just either way you're happy to roll with it it can go very bad but you have to roll <laughs> with it <laughs> and i guess for me that's part of that live experience is that unpredictability and um that need to be in a space where i can roll with it and um that kind of zone that it takes me into where it, it means that it's not as settled and comfortable as if I knew exactly what I was doing and had everything pre-recorded. I'm probably I'm probably doing myself a disservice in some ways by uh, putting myself in the zone of slight panic. <laughs> but but it, I think it keeps me um, really excited then in a live setting and really focused and really in the moment. And it keeps me needing to be able to um, kind of just turn on turn on the second of of unpredictability of what will come and just respond to that and I sort of I sort of like that it kind of yeah it takes away some of that solo feeling of that soloness where it's just you and everything's coming from you because you're like well things are coming from these um, unpredictable objects that might slightly do something different than I than my expectations so um yeah I, I guess when when you're recording at home or recording those sounds yourself you are able to kind of get it maybe perfect or, or some way is it and then you can't recreate that live so so is that kind of one of the things about it that you want the uh you know you don't want it to be perfect in a way live or are you going for that perfect sound in in your home recordings um i guess and i never really know what the sounds are going to make so i, I don't have an, an expectation often of the exact sound something's going to make. So um, looking for something within a range of sounds that I know something can do. 
for instance, uh, sometimes I use like a sewing machine with a contact mic on it to make rhythmic sounds. And that generally you get the same thing every time in theory. But, you know, sometimes you're live on stage and you push something a little bit differently and it just doesn't recreate that sound you wanted at all. And so suddenly you have a completely different rhythm track that's behind you that you're that you've looped that you're playing with. And you just kind of have to go go with that. But it might be just um, um, the an unexpected, uh, wonderful sound, even better than what you could have hoped for. So um, sometimes the sounds that I don't want and that I do get are even better than what I could have hoped for. So they become even a better sound to then work with in the future. Is it just that you're comfortable on stage that you're able to do this sort of thing? Have you been like playing this stuff live for ages or playing live full stop for years and years i don't um maybe that could be part of it um i have been playing live this kind of stuff i've only been doing it live for um kind of a shorter time of my career like i played live a lot with my old band woven skull we used to tour a lot so um i'm definitely comfortable in that kind of live setting um solo wise i haven't done too too much really solo wise live I was talking to a few people the other day before a gig. I went to a gig and it was all solo performers doing quite experimental stuff. And, and we were talking about the, the feeling of panic that overcomes people before they go on often to do that kind of improvised experimental solo stuff. And some of them were performers that have been playing for much longer than I have. So I don't know if it's a comfort thing or if it's just uh, an acceptance. I think I've accepted that feeling that of, of slight panic panic and unknowing that comes with doing those kind of performances and just um accepted it as part of what helps to make it to generate some sort of um interesting outcome yeah keeps it interesting if nothing else <laughs> so like what are you bringing like a, a box of wonders to the live stage for your solo shows is it kind of like you're, you're just picking up stuff in the house on the way out sort of thing rather than like you know the normal just packing up the guitar and like one or two mics or something like that I can find it um, very hard to walk through the house when I'm trying to get ready for a solo set because like you're like, oh, I just hit something. What did I hit off of? What was that sound? Can I fit it in my box of wonders? <laughs> no, I do not have a vehicle big enough. So um, yeah, I tend to just kind of gather up little bits and stuff. some stuff. I tend to try, if I'm, I'm setting up a new solo live set, I'll test out loads and loads and loads of stuff and often come back to a lot of old familiars and end up taking them along but um, then find little new bits along the way. So uh, I pick up a lot of stuff. I'll go to the car boot sale as well and kind of just look around and see. Probably everyone thinks I'm such a weirdo. I'm at the stall kind of like <laughs> dinging back and things with little sticks and just to see what kind of sounds things can generate and um, can they be, is it enough of a sound that you can control that you do kind of know what it's going to do live? You know, no nothing I bring is going to be that the sound isn't going to vary too much off of what I expected to do. You know, it won't be like completely making, you know, I'm, I'm not bringing it along. Let's say uh, one thing, uh, the sounds are sort of controlled enough that like, you know, it's, it's not going to be something completely out of left field where I'm expecting it to make a ding and it's actually going to make a droney whirl that is continuous and continuous. So, but yeah. So yeah. Box of wonders. <laughs> you know, throw them all on stage and hope for the best. <laughs> Where did that interest come from? Was it all like, is this always the music that you were interested in when you were younger? Or is it just something that you've come to like in the last decade or so? Or 
I think a lot of it came from, um, I did a, a sound diary project about 10 years ago where I recorded two minutes of sound every day um, for a year. And uh, then I put those sounds up online every day. So every day I was putting up two minutes of sounds of field recordings that were sounds of what was happening around me. And through that, I definitely started to hone my ear into the musicality of everyday sounds. And out of that, my interest in that um, that musicality of non-musical objects uh, started to grow from there. What made you want to start the sound diary? I, at the time, I got very curious about um, how people spend their days and what um, sonic elements are regularly in their environment on a daily basis. Go and explore that curiosity through. So it was just kind of a curiosity into like, the sonic elements that are continuously coming into our ears on a daily basis, just to kind of, just to think, think about it and, and uh, see sort of if it had hidden effects that I wasn't realizing on the music I was producing. And is that something that you've continued now still doing a sound diary, still recording every day? No, no, I just did that for a year. And um, I do, I very, very rarely now go out and just kind of field record, do field recordings just for fun. Um, I do a lot for different projects or um, I might do, do one for specific like installation work or um, people get me to kind of do different um, bits of art, kind of sound art work for projects they're working on. But um, no, I think I think one year of doing that was enough for me. Just uh, it was a yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you did um, put out an album or a collection anyway of songs with kind of those sounds like um, on Library of Sticks. That came out earlier this year. You've got a, a track on there called Creaking for Further Use and New Potatoes. The first track, Creaking for Further Use, is literally just a creaking door, which is it's kind of um, mesmerizing. It's almost five minutes. It's over five minutes long, I think. And it's and it's just a creaking door. It was just listening to it. And it's just like you almost kind of get sucked into it. And the same with New Potatoes. It's just the sound of you washing new potatoes. <laughs> So you're still you're still recording the sounds as well around the house. That's true. Yeah, I'm still that that door isn't at my house, but um. Oh. <laughs> so that that was yeah that was a door that like I was like. Amazing. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely still do things like that, or if something if something really sticks out like that particular door and deserves its own five minutes of glory. <laughs> So tell tell me about sound recording then. Is that 
kind of your almost like your happy place you're just going out for the day and just like just you and a recorder and well not silence but um quiet I suppose yeah it's I find it's a really different way for me to interact with the environment and the world I can tend to kind of go through things really stuck in my own head I think like a lot of us and we're kind of running around and we're just not really noticing things but as soon as I start field recording I'm just suddenly in the moment more than I would be I think if I was just kind of standing there listening because uh suddenly it's very um everything's quite focused on that one thing and so you're just really focused on sound of the moment um uh so I'm doing a project at the moment where I'm doing recordings on 20 farms around Leitrim and kind of going out and just recording the sounds of the farms for the day the both the natural sounds of the natural world and the sounds of the uh, farmers working as well. It's such a nice way to approach a space and go approach a farmer and their farm and get to know them through their their sonic world. And it gives me different things to kind of talk to them about, which is quite nice because I could be like, wow, you've got this gate up there on that field. And, and they'll be like, I know, it sounds so good, that gate. And so, yeah. <laughs> So uh, you maybe have to explain things initially, I'm guessing, to them, but eventually they kind of uh, come around. They they understand what you're up to quickly enough. Yeah, yeah. I think especially with that project, because farmers do spend so much of their time on their own outside that they get it straight away. They're like, oh, yeah, the sounds. the And uh, you, you think somewhere rural, um, you think, oh, it always sounds the same, but with the bird life and the animal life and uh, with the calendar year of farming, sounds are different every single day, even if you're in the exact same place where nothing really seems to change, just different birds coming through, you know, different animals being born and making their noises and, um, you know, things are so quiet in the winter and uh, so loud in the spring and summer. But uh, so, yeah, they, they get it kind of straight away. They, they, they understand that that sonic, that sonic uh, world. Do you have to have kind of an overarching idea of, of what the project is going to be or do you kind of like take it one day at a time and then kind of see what's coming together, maybe the the vision for a project like that? Uh, I used to just go and collect hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of things and then have it come together in the edit. But now I when I approach something like that, I really approach it knowing exactly what the outcome is going to be. And um, it just makes it, it means I'm spending a lot less time at the computer afterwards, sitting down and listening back and trying to piece it all together. So now when I approach projects, it's it's, it's generally knowing exactly what the outcome is going to be. Um, unless it's something like Library of Sticks, where I'm kind of, that'd be a bit vaguer. We're maybe just kind of going around and gathering sounds for a little while or going through the bank of sound recordings and kind of like but um yeah with things like installation work or projects like that it's it's very focused from the start and what's your recording setup is it just you and a zoom recording a zoom recorder and headphones is there much else and the all-important uh wind wind sock my hot pink uh wind sock uh that's it yeah and extra batteries is the big one um but i've tried other other things in the past and um I, it just kind of works for me to have that really lightweight I've tried those kind of like zoom the ones you wear around yourself the oh I can't remember which number it is and the big mic that you've got on the boom stick but um 
for, it's a bit of a hindrance if you're trying to climb over gates and get down through like really close to things like through brambles and stuff so for me it's just just me in the zoom and yeah yeah i know that you've lived in leitrim for 15 years maybe 16 years like could you imagine doing this if you were living back in the in back in a city or anything like that do you think that you'd still be going out recording sounds or is it is there something about the rural setting that is attractive to you um i think maybe i got so interested in because it was an unfamiliar setting when i started doing it it wasn't something growing up in cities and more um kind of large suburban areas um you're so used to those sounds they maybe don't pique your interest in the same way but definitely when i moved rurally i suddenly had this whole whole new soundscape that i hadn't experienced before that really piqued my interest in 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 in, in the way that things pique your interest when you're not from a place and you haven't grown up used to everything and you haven't grown up kind of with that as part of your everyday. I think when you come to something from outside of it is when you can see the interesting qualities in it that might um, be interesting to sort of a broader range of people. Because um, often when you're from somewhere, you're like, oh, well, that's just the exact sound I hear every day. No one else, there's nothing unusual or interesting about that. But yeah, the kind of newness and that, different set of ears coming to something and going, but no, this is fascinating. These sounds and the way they exist here, you know, they don't exist like that somewhere else in the world. So I don't know if it's a neuro, I, I get asked a lot about, um, if is it a rural thing that interests me in field recording? And is it a thing where, because it's quiet, supposedly out in rural places, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's such a thing because like I love listening to field recordings of cities and like people some people just have a great ear for the urban environment and really picking things up so I think both have amazing um uh things to give in terms of ur urban and rural environments in terms of soundscapes and it's just what the individual sound recordist is able to pick up on and engage with and yeah for me that just happened to be the kind of rural it's easy as well. It's just outside my door. I don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess like the thing is, is when you're when you're in a rural setting, you're almost maybe hearing like just individual sounds. Or you're able to kind of um, see the different lines of sound, whereas in a city, it's much more um, condensed, I guess, as well. You have that term noise pollution, which is only really associated with cities too so i guess that's one of the differences that i i would think of it but as as you say like you know you can make music out of that as well i suppose yeah and i think a big thing is um when you're in the city and you're standing there with your recorder you're gonna have someone come up and bother you or you're gonna have someone come up and be like what are you doing where you know that human interaction that takes you out of the activity that you're doing you don't get that here you don't know I'm much less likely to encounter someone in a corner of a field. That I think that that that's one plus of rural recording. Um, less 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 people kind of interacting with you and taking you out of that zone. Well, just while we're talking about maybe the rural setting and and the sound recordings, do you want to talk about Poetic Dwelling? It's a show that you have on DDR. You've done a couple of episodes. I think the it's kind of like going around to fifty townlands. Is it around Leitrim? Yeah, it's um, uh, my neighbor and I, my neighbor, Dwina Gukian and I do it together. Um, and it is, uh, we chose a middle point between our two houses. She's two and a half kilometers from me. 
And then we just drew a circle and included 50 townlands that are around around that center point between our houses. And um, it's just a little radio show about um, anything happening in the 50 townlands. So it's an archive project, kind of uh, just looking at what, what people are doing now who live here, um, interviewing different uh, musicians or craftspeople, um, interviewing some of the older generation to find out historically what happened here. Um, it's a kind of the ideas, it could be any 50 townlands anywhere in Ireland. Um, and because I think every single area has the same kind of stories and the same history and the same traditions. Um, but it's just, uh, yeah, looking at what, what, what people are doing around us now and what interests them. Uh, we're both quite interested in community development and looking at the community better, myself and Edwina. So it's kind of a spark for that, looking at possibly, we're looking at possibly building a social center um, for the community and uh, possibly community gardens um, in the long run and a space to house the archive, uh, kind of collect up local, like a little museum of local artifacts and memorabilia. Um, yeah. Great. Do you enjoy that kind of uh, community aspect to it? Is that something that you've kind of gotten into more lately? Um, I've always really been into community in terms of like, um, I've always been involved with social centers and spaces like that and um, <clears throat> community organizing and DIY gigs and DIY spaces. Um, and doing something like the Poetic Dwelling Archive is a way for me to find ways to do that with my neighbors here and kind of people who live here that, you know, wouldn't come from those. I, I, I would have uh, done a lot of kind of radical politics, kind of been involved in spaces around radical politics, which isn't always what your neighbors are into. So it's, it's given me a way to connect with my neighbors and maybe understand what I do a little bit and for me to get to know them on a level that isn't just like, oh, that doesn't make me so much of an outsider to where I live, I think, kind of. How often is Poetic Dwelling? I think episode two was around Samhain. This recent episode was around the solstice. We've done three so far. We've got two more this year. So we've got one. The, our next one is Samhain this year. And um, our last one will be around the winter solstice. So we did one for Bridget's Day this year, summer solstice. And then it'll be Samhain in the winter solstice. It's not the only show you do with DDR. You also do Sunken Transmission as well. Do you enjoy putting together those shows? I guess it's something a little bit different sound-wise for you to work on. Yeah, I love it. I'm on a little break from Sunken Transmissions just because time-wise, it's um, putting anything together takes takes uh, takes a lot of time. And uh, I found that I'm, I was kind of not giving as much time as I was able to to Sunken Transmission. So I'm just on a little break from that. But um I love it because it keeps me like it keeps me always actively going out and listening to new music. If I'm doing a radio, a, a radio show, um, which sometimes if you're really busy, you can just fall back on listening to the same things. But um, I, I really like to kind of actively see what other people are doing in the same kind of music sphere that I, I am just just because I enjoy it and, and then enjoy getting to share the sounds that other people are making that um an interest with me um it does sound like you're having a particularly um fruitful year it seems like that collaboration that you released with Emer earlier this year she came in through the window to stand by the door is getting a lot of praise is that something that you see too that oh this seems to be doing particularly well um i sometimes it's hard i think to see 
how you're doing from where you're sitting okay. kind of yeah, yeah um yeah our last release we did did really got a lot of people really like that as well um uh but yeah people seem to to really like this one um and uh so i'm not sure we'll see yeah i guess maybe yeah. <laughs> um no i'm just thinking like i saw that you got a feature in the wire earlier oh, this yeah. year which is nice so i mean that's maybe where i was coming from oh yeah 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 no it's true and i'm I, there's definitely things kind of coming up a lot things like this as well where it does seem like um maybe i, I am having a uh, a nice fruitful year <laughs> <laughs> did it feel particularly special when you were making that piece we got to use the organ that we recorded it on and in terms of that it felt really special that we were getting to record it in the space and on that organ and i think that piece it, the record just kind of came together in a way that felt quite like it came from halfway from me and halfway from emer so in that way it really just felt like a, a, a really nice coming together between the two of us so how much work or pre-planning goes into actually recording it? Because I'm presuming that it's all one take of those tracks that are on the on the album. Like, is there much rehearsal going into it? We did a gig of the pieces first. So we got a commission to write pieces for that organ and do a gig with them. So we had about, I think we had about a week to write them initially. And then we did a gig. And then we had, I think, another maybe before the recording um so uh yeah so it would have been great to have more time but it's 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 a you know because of the space it is they don't have too much time to let people use it like that but um a lot I guess we also um we would have spent so much time playing together um myself and Emer just at home um at my house or whatever but um I think a lot of the development kind of comes out, even if it's not the same exact pieces and getting to play together and tuning into each other um, and giving each other spaces and, and knowing where each other are going to take moments to breathe musically and knowing where each other are going to take moments to kind of just soar and solo and take over. So I guess a lot of the pre-planning, even though it wasn't specifically for that album, all comes through those months and months of practice and just playing together and being within each other's musical company. And this organ in St. George's Church, did you know about it? Was this something that somebody told you about that it's apparently Ireland's second oldest organ? Were you itching to play it or was it just a, a complete surprise that you found out about it? I knew about it for a long time and I was desperate to play it, desperate. And I just never, I kind of like, kind of go in there and be like oh that's a nice organ and they go uh-huh and then uh, <laughs> I just, uh the second I sent Emer in with her cello they were just like oh it's a cello oh you can do anything you want <laughs> so <laughs> yeah the cello the cello legitimized it and made him think okay if you if you're playing with the cellist you must not be a, you know well you must be okay to let you you know use this magical organ because <laughs> <laughs> it's i presume it's a working church as well saint george's church in carrick on shannon i think so i think they still do a service in there as far as i know yeah but they do it's a heritage center as well so it's sort of like a little bit of this a little bit of that and then a lot of community groups use it and i think possibly some other um smaller um religious groups have their meetings there as well oh, okay um, is it once you play it it's out of your system or are you kind of keep thinking i want to go back i want to try some more things on that organ 
oh no, it's way more in my system now. Now that I've played it, oh no, there's it's just that's I just dream of it now. What else could I do with it? So I'd say I'd say we'll be we'll be back. We'll be back to the Telford organ. <laughs> Um, have you got more collaborations planned with Emer? Have you have you talked ahead? Um, we are like we'd love to do um with the album we were hoping to tour it more with the she came through the window to stand by the door, but um I, we didn't realize kind of maybe how hard it would be to get organ gigs because you kind of need a few days prep and everything. If uh, one of the pieces we do side B means that I have to spend a long time getting to know all the stops on the organ the valves the things the stops that you pull out to make the air go through the valves in different ways uh it's quite it'll be quite particular to each organ so um we're looking next year possibly trying to get some funding to be able to go and do performances on other organs around um, the country to give us a few days to be able to be in there and really get to know each individual organ because a lot of a lot of the things that we're doing depend on the sounds of the specific organs and their idiosyncrasies and um, getting to know those and be able to play with those. So yeah, hopefully we'll get to do that next year. So no two organs sound like any way similar? No, sim similar, but but different enough. I mean, the spaces are so hugely different, whether it's a kind of smaller space or, you know, vastly expansive. Um, and yeah, I think my own interest in these kind of things, like I'm not an organist who can kind of sit down and play and box, you know, whatever, uh, where it wouldn't matter too much. I'm, I'm so specifically interested in working with the sounds that that individual organ can produce. Cause um, like when you pull out the stops, the air comes out really slowly and the organ in St. George's, there were certain stops that like kind of sounded a little bit like singing when you pulled them out to a certain part of their journey so not when they were fully out but maybe when they got to three quarters out they'd make a new sound so it's kind of getting to know those very small sonic uh, variances that happen um on the organs and and getting to use that within the set so um yeah rather than just kind of rocking up and being like you know here's the same piece that we've written on a completely different organ just played on this organ like we'd want to be like okay here's our pieces and let's make sure we're doing them with this organ as nearly like the organ's like nearly like a third band member. And it's kind of like, you know, kind of coming in and being like, you know, look at me, like what I can do. And, you know, look at my uh, little thing, little magical ways of, of existing. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing. So a lot of research goes into like that tour that you're thinking about maybe doing next year with Emer of going around and playing with organs. You've got to like, research it and make sure that all of these spaces will work for you as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of doing that now, um, starting to look around the country and seeing, yeah. And and then certain places wouldn't be, because of sort of church services or whatever, wouldn't have the time to give you a few days development time uh, to rehearse. So just trying to find places that will see what we want to do and for spaces, because some spaces are so excited for people to use their organs because they're, they're everywhere and they're amazing instruments and they so rarely get those outings that they deserve. So there's definitely some spaces where when we've contacted them have been so excited about somebody coming and using the organ. And then some spaces are very much like, this is an organ for a church and for a 
properly trained organist that you know is going to do it's not going to do anything too weird and <laughs> <laughs> so no not you <laughs> have, have you ever done lessons in becoming a properly trained organist no, no I, I don't know i have a neighbor who's convinced that there's like um, a secret society that you have to figure out how to get into before you can really get in there with the church organist <laughs> um so tell me what else you have planned apart from those gigs well it's busy july for you with those gigs what else do you have coming up this year i know that you're playing cafe Otto in london later in the year and reading that feature in the wire i i see that you've got a new release called mermaids coming out which sounds very interesting yeah mermaids is i think officially out possibly on the first of september and that's a solo album of electric piano works um written for a specific electric piano. I, I'm so I'm very into specific instruments and their sounds. So and I'm doing a tour around the UK and Ireland for that. So late September and early October. Um, I'm playing a few gigs in England and then I'll be playing around Ireland as well. Um, so that's kind of early autumn. And then um, after that, I'm writing a I'm writing a composition for uh, Huddersfield Contemporary uh, Music Festival in the UK that'll be um, premiered in November. So that's a composition for four other musicians. So I won't be playing at all, which is something I've never done. So um, yeah, kind of spending, I'll be spending a good bit of time just getting that together. Is that almost like a, a full score for an orchestra sort of thing or? Um, no, it's, it's for musicians that um, I've worked with a lot before. So it's people that kind of I, I I brought them in knowing what they do and knowing what I really love about their styles and what and knowing what they really enjoy doing themselves as musicians. And I'm writing the piece with bringing them in to help me develop it, but writing it specifically to them for them as musicians rather than kind of like um, a score that's more open to anyone picking up. Um, yeah. Very good. Well, it sounds like uh, a great year for you so far and uh, plenty more to come. Are you heading out field recording today now after this chat? No, Emer's coming over at 11 and we're we're uh, getting, getting rehearsing, rehearsing for we're playing at Stendhal Festival next week. So, oh, OK, uh, very good. Yeah. So we're just uh, getting ready for that. And um, and then I might actually go recording. I have to my one of my one of the farms I'm working at uh, has the curlew there at the moment nesting. So I do have to get out there and get a recording of the curlew. So maybe this evening I might go out there and depending on the weather, because it's 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 lashing rain here today. I don't oh, know OK. There. OK, <laughs> well, enjoy, enjoy um, the rehearsals with uh, Emer and hopefully you'll get out and see the curlew and hear the curlew as well. So thanks a million for chatting and congrats again on the releases so far this year and best of luck with the shows in July and for the rest of the year. Thank you so much for having me on.